Welcome to the Finley Capital Podcast, where we discuss real estate investing and the hard money lending process. Today, I want to talk about how to deal with and how to communicate with your hard money lender, what your hard money lender is looking for from you as a borrower, and what you can do to position yourself as a more attractive borrower so the hard money lenders uh, are more likely to deal with you and give you favorable terms. Okay, so looking through the lens of a lender at a borrower, what we look for first and foremost is professionalism, maturity, organization, and having a good plan. When you're a hard, when you're a borrower for hard money, usually a lot of times it means you're newer into the business. You don't have a lot of capital raised up, right? And you are trying to get some support and some help so you can do a good profitable project. And that's noble. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But what you have to understand is the borrower is looking or the lender is looking at the deal through the prism of risk mitigation. Mm-hmm. How risky is the situation? How, how capable or how likely is this borrower to finish this job and, and execute on the plan that he or she has? And that's how we look at a loan. Obviously, we look at the after repair value, we look at the scope of work budget, we look at the purchase price, we look at all the ratios, but we also look at the borrower to see, or at least I do, look at the borrower to see, what is this borrower's plan? Mm -hmm. Do I think they can execute the plan? Do they have the understanding of what they're trying to do? Do they understand what they know and what they don't know? And are they organized and well thought out? So, for example... I remember several years ago, I went to a commercial bank and I wanted to get a commercial loan for a a property and a deal. And, uh, when I walked into the bank and talked to the lender, I handed a two inch thick stack of papers. Wow. And I said, here's my stuff. Here's two years tax returns. Here's three years bank statements. Here's my W twos. Here's this, here's that, here's this, here's that. And the guy looked at me and he couldn't believe it. It was color coded with, you know, paper clips and little stickies and da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. and he said, Logan, nobody's ever sent me anything like this before. I've never seen this. And I said, well, sir, this is what you're dealing with on this deal. A professional operator who's serious, who's ready to go. So obviously that was just a little anecdote, but that's how you as a borrower can conduct yourself when you're dealing with a hard money lender. Now think about this. If for no other reason you want to be organized and punctual and proactive uh, and have great communication because the better you communicate and the better you perform when it's your turn to do something, the more serious that lender takes you. Right. And the higher on that lender's priority list he puts you or she puts you. Think about it. If you're a lender and you're dealing with 15 files and you got to chase down Lowell every day for every document, it's really annoying. So you send Lowell an email, then you forget about it and you move on to the next file. And Lowell takes a day and a half to get back to you. Now, think about if Lowell was the other way. You sent Lowell a list of documents you need and then within two hours, he sent you a, a category, you know, an itemized email with attachments in order mm-hmm. and every document that you requested was right there. Right. First and foremost, I'm taking that, that uh, deal and I'm moving up my pipeline. Absolutely. It's moving into underwriting. It's moving into final conditions. It's moving into approval faster. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm also much more uh, inclined to want to deal with Lowell because he's so professional and he's so organized. Uh, It can be very annoying when a borrower, not very, it can be annoying when a borrower doesn't submit all the necessary documents. And this is the, this is the age old, you know, dynamic between 
lender and borrower. It's not just new to, to this situation, but you as a borrower can control how you're perceived by the way that you act and by the way you conduct yourself. Mm -hmm. So why wouldn't you do everything you could to maximize your chances of having your loan approved, mm -hmm. having it approved quickly, having it approved simply, um, all those things. It's very important. Another thing too is it's also very important to understand what you're doing and have an entire plan mapped out ahead of time. Mm -hmm. One of the first questions I ask every time I deal with a new borrower and they tell me, they ask for a loan, they, they submit a loan request. I say, Lowell, what's your exit strategy? Mm -hmm. And then sometimes they'll say, well, I'm going to sell it or I'm going to refinance it. A lot of times they want to refinance it. Right. A lot of hard money loans that I do right now are for Burr investments where you buy, you know, rent, renovate, rent, refinance, and then repeat. Okay. So I know your plan is to Burr. I know the five steps of your plan, but what I want to know is tell me about that that, that R, that refinance R. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times they say, well, I'm just going to refinance. And I say, okay, are you going to use a commercial lender? Or are you going to use a hard money private lender or a private lender? What kind of lender are you going to use? What's the name of the lending company? And a lot of times they'll say, well, I don't know yet. I haven't gotten that far. And that to me is a red flag. And it should be to a red flag to you as a borrower as well. When you're coming up with a business plan to flip a house or to renovate and then refinance a house, you need to map out every step ahead of time. Mm -hmm. which means that you need to be on the phone or in the office of that commercial lender or that direct private lender. Okay. And you're going to need to know ahead of time what the terms are and what, excuse me, what the strategy is. And I'll give you an example. I was on the phone yesterday for an hour with a private lender and I'm trying to understand what their capabilities are to refinance one of my borrowers out of my loan that I gave that borrower. Okay. This is what he told me. He said, we can do 75% of a rate and term or of a cash out refinance or 80% of a rate and term loan. Now, probably most people listening to me say, what's the difference? I don't even know what that means. And I'm the same way. I had to understand it yesterday. I had to learn about it and ask a bunch of questions. And basically what he said was, we can give you, we can only give you 75% of the after repair value if you're taking cash out of the deal. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing a Burr investment and you want to take equity out of the deal that you just built equity in, you need to know that you're only getting 75%. Yeah. As opposed to a rate and term, which is rate and term means they can, they can add up the whole basis of the property. Mm -hmm. You know, you purchase renovations, holding costs, financing costs, add that up and they'll lend you up to 80%. As long as it doesn't include cash out. Right. Also that loan product, only takes 90 days of seasoning okay. versus the cash out refinance. And for this lender takes six months uh, okay. of title seasoning. Big difference. Big difference. Yeah. Huge difference. So, you know, when they say, well, I'm just going to refinance when I'm done, there's, there's a bunch of different options there and you need to know exactly what they are. Now let's say that you are a great operator and you renovate that house in two months and you rent it in one day. So now you're sitting there two months and one day into a six month loan and you say, Logan, I'm ready to refi and get you out and get out of this hard money, you know, loan that you gave me. I want to get a long-term lower interest 30 year M. Right. And I say, great. Who are you going to? And you say, well, I don't know. I'm going to start looking now. That's crazy for one. For two, what you might find out when you start looking on day, you know, on month three is, oh, you know what? I got to wait three more months before I can cash this out, which means now I got to carry this hard money interest for three more months longer than I needed to because I didn't have a plan in place. Right. And that's, that's something that you can avoid by mapping it out ahead of time. 
And I think it's very important to do that because you need to have a, you need to treat a house flip like a business plan, right? When you start a business, you create a plan. You have mm-hmm. a, you have a plan of what you're trying to do, what your goals are, what your, what your plan to achieve those goals is. Mm-hmm. That's a very, very important component of the plan is your exit strategy out of the hard money loan. Yeah. And I, I've seen it several times now. I just closed. We just, re, we just collected a loan yesterday that was supposed to be a six month loan. It took seven and a half months for the borrower to pay back the loan, which, you know, we granted him an extension and it's no big deal. We can deal with that. But the reason it took seven and a half months instead of four or five months is because he just didn't have a good exit strategy in place. And he ran into a bunch of problems, a lot of problems. It is, it's difficult to do a cash out refinance using a private lender. It's not as easy as it sounds. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now I also just did some personal cash out refinances with a commercial lender in Midland mm-hmm. on some properties that I own. And I got 80% of the loan to value cash out four and a half percent interest, uh, 15 year am, you know, no points. It was great. So the commercial loans are great if you have those local connections in place, but most borrowers don't. Right. And what I just described to you, an 80% cash out refinance with no seasoning period at four and a half percent interest is not easy to find. No, it's not. And I'm also a very qualified borrower to do that. Mm-hmm. So if you are a brand new borrower, you're probably not going to get an 80% cash out refinance no. from a commercial lender in your community. But you need to go knock on 20 community bank doors to find one. Okay. So you need to be proactive right now and go see every credit union in mm-hmm. your town in the surrounding towns that lend in your area, introduce yourself, go to those meetups, go to those luncheons, go wherever you got to go, ask for appointments, Mm -hmm. do what you got to do to build relationships with these commercial lenders that are local and say, Hey, here's my business plan. Mm -hmm. I want to buy a house for 50,000. I want to put 30,000 into it. And I think it'll be worth 150 when I'm done from you. I'd like to borrow a hundred on that. Can I do a cash out refinance for two thirds of the value? And they'll say, well, you know, we're going to only lend you up to 80% of your basis. And you say, what's a basis? Well, a basis is the 80,000 that you're in. Yeah. Not the 150,000 that it's worth. And then you're going to say, why? That doesn't make any sense to me. And you're going to get frustrated. Mm-hmm. Well, that's how these banks do it. They want, yeah. they want their yeah, exposure yeah. to be minimized way, very, very low. But when you find the right credit union or the right bank or the mm-hmm. right, you know, whatever, they will do it because they, they're trying to grow their balance sheet of that type of product. So this is another, another dynamic that I never understood for many, many years that now I finally figured out. Every lending institution has a different mix on their balance sheet yes. of properties and a different board of directors. Yes. Which means that every credit union has different goals. Mm-hmm. Credit union number one might have way too much residential property on their balance sheet and they might want to be going to get more commercial and Mm -hmm. industrial and vacant land or whatever. Credit union number two might have way too much commercial and they might have an appetite for residential Mm -hmm. or they might have just moved into a new market. Yes. And they want to grow market share, which is what's happening with me with the credit union that I'm working with. Mm -hmm. The the name of the credit union is a town that's a hundred miles away. Mm-hmm. But they moved into our town and they're trying to grow market share in our town. So a yeah. relationship with me is a great relationship yeah. and they don't mind lending me 80% of the value because they want to gain market share. So yeah, absolutely. As a borrower, what does that mean? It means you need to do your research. It means you need to get mm-hmm. out there and work with every credit union you can find until you find a couple that will do what you need to do. Mm-hmm. You also need to 
analyze the situations for worst case scenario that your ARV loan might only be 70% or 75% as opposed to 80. 80 is harder to get. 70% is a lot easier to convince a credit union to do. Yeah, absolutely. But if you're doing 70%, it means depending on how your project went, you might be leaving some money in the deal. Yeah. Okay. Or you might not, you might be able to get all your money out, but it it might just be break even on your cap and your mm-hmm. cash, which is still a profitable burr, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great burr if you can put all your money into a deal and get it all out when you refinance. That's 100%. a great burr success. But you, the point is you got to know that last step. So for as a borrower, you got to start at the front end. You got to be organized. You have to. You should have all the answers to the questions ahead of time before you make your application. Mm-hmm. That's going to tell me as a borrower, as a lender, that you that you have a good plan to exit out of my loan, mm-hmm. which as a lender is literally the most important thing. Absolutely. A lender looks at a deal and says, how's my capital going to come back to me? Mm-hmm. When's it going to come back to me? What's going to happen if this guy's plan doesn't work? Yeah. The nice thing about that as a bird situation is you can always sell the property, right? Mm-hmm. The, the investor can always sell. So they can always find a way out. But if they go 90 days to get the renovation done and then they start doing refinances, you know, they're looking into refinances for the first time on that 91st mm-hmm. day, it takes them a month to realize, Oh, wait a minute. I'm not gonna be able to make this happen. Right. Then they got to list the property, but they just rented it already. So now yep. they got an occupied rental. There's a problem there. It's yeah. harder to sell and you know, yep. the whole deal can go fall apart. So a good borrower has their whole plan mapped out. Another element of that is the renovation budget, mm-hmm. the scope of work budget. When I'm underwriting a scope of work and I'm looking at a borrower, especially a new borrower, you know, there's two different ways a scope of work comes in. It's either on like a one page document with, you know, kitchen, 10 grand, bathroom, five grand, paint, two grand. Yeah. You know, and then it's, you know, 20 grand at the bottom is the total. Mm-hmm. That's one. The other one is a spreadsheet with labor materials and taxes and contingencies and, you know, line items for different things. I look at both of those and obviously both can, can be okay, but I like the one that's really broken down into detail because it shows me that the borrower has really put a lot of thought into the scope of work. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, as the lender, I don't care so much if they go over budget, as long as I know they have the cash to finish the job, which is another thing that I look at. So I look at their bank statements to make sure they got enough capital in the bank mm-hmm. to, to handle an overrun, which is almost inevitable. Right. But the overruns are, aren't as high when you do a really, really thorough analysis of the scope of work. Mm-hmm. So again, was the conversation here is about how to create yourself into a better attractive borrower. Mm-hmm. Make sure that your scope of works are detailed, right? Yeah. And then the last element of that is make sure that your after repair value comps mm-hmm. are accurate. Look, I'm a real estate broker. I've been doing this for 11 years. I know I can make a house value look like anything I want it to look like, mm-hmm. right? You need to be accurate. I look for accuracy in the ARV comps. Mm-hmm. I look, I audit every loan that I do, every single loan when it comes back. I look at either what it sold for or what the appraisal was for the refi mm-hmm. every time. And then I cross-reference that to both my ARV estimate and the borrower's ARV estimate for accuracy. Mm-hmm. And it's very important to me that those numbers be right. Now, what I've found, you want to knock on wood, every loan I've done, I've had, I think I've had 30 loans come back. My ARV estimate has never been higher than the actual value. Okay. Which is amazing. Yeah. Which means that I'm underwriting these deals conservatively mm-hmm. and being right. Yeah. 
which is good. Um, because I don't want my estimates of value to be higher than reality because then the loan loan to values and the risk is off. We're not only protecting yourself, but you're protecting, protecting the borrower too. Exactly. Exactly right. Now, some of this is just happening because the market's still going up and it goes yep. up faster than we can analyze things. So for example, if I analyze the value of a property today, mm-hmm. what I think it's going to be worth, I'm looking at comps today. Yeah. I'm not looking at comps six months into the future because I don't have that data. Right. So obviously improving market is, is, is skewing those ARVs right. up, which is great. And that's not going to last forever, which we have to account for. Yeah. But right now it's a good time to be flipping a house because markets, you know, the values are going up. Uh, as the as the market dynamic shift, we'll look at that and be more conservative in our underwriting and things right. like that. But the point for you as the borrower is your comps need to be accurate. Mm-hmm. If you send me comps, here, here's another way. When I look at a loan, I'm getting the purchase price. So I look at the purchase agreement to make mm-hmm. sure it lines up. I look at the scope of work. Then I look at the building to make sure that the scope of work lines up, in my opinion, with what the, the structure actually needs to renovate right. it. And then I look at the after repair value comps. If I get lousy comps, from a borrower when they submit those Mm -hmm. and then I got to start from scratch, you know, it's a lot easier to say yes to a loan in one day when the comps come in so well that I don't have to get an appraisal. I can make a buying, I can make a lending decision and waive an appraisal. I get a lot of these calls to say, Logan, I need to close in eight days. There's no way I can get an appraisal on time. Can you help me? And sometimes I say, I can help you if it makes sense. Let's look at it together. If you send me, you know, seven comps, they're all within a quarter mile. Yeah. And they're all the same builder and they're same, you know, it makes it easier for me to look at a deal and say, you know what? I see 150 there on ARV. I I know the area. I know that. That makes sense. Okay. As opposed to starting from scratch or sending me some junk. Yeah. Let's say you send me some junk. You send me a a, a deal that's two miles away, Mm -hmm. you know, that's bigger and renovated nicer than you're going to renovate yours. And you're asking me to use that value as a comp. Now, now we lose trust. Yeah. So either I don't trust you because you gave me a bad comp or I don't trust you because I don't think you know what a good comp is. Right. Either way, you've now created a negative perception for your lender Mm -hmm. because of the comps that you provided. So provide accurate comps. Mm -hmm. Also, it shouldn't be a manipulation. Those comps should really be the basis of the foundation of the framework of what you think the after repair value of the property actually is. Mm -hmm. And you as the borrower should be back reverse engineering from that number Mm -hmm. and being conservative in that. Because you don't want to rely on the sale price or the renovation or the after repair value price of a deal to make the deal good. If you're, if you're hoping it comes in at a price or you're mm-hmm. hoping your comps line up to reality, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the other day I just got a ref- we were just talking about this yesterday. I yeah. just got an appraisal back on a burr and I bought the house for 85,000. Mm-hmm. We put 75,000 into the house, which was crazy, but wow. yeah, yeah, a lot into it. So that totals our basis into the property at 160,000. Mm-hmm. Well, it appraised today at 209. I looked back and cause I was really disappointed in this project because my estimate of the ARV was going to be 180. Okay. So as I saw that budget going up and up and up and up, I got more and more disappointed Yeah. because I knew that best case scenario I was going to, if I refinanced, I was only going to 80% of 180 mm-hmm. that, that was going to leave money into a deal, right. which is not the end of the world. Okay. It's still got equity in it. It's still good and that's fine. But luckily the appraisal, inflated higher than I expected. Mm-hmm. And that kind of bailed me out a little bit. So that's a nice thing. That's a nice built in mechanism, but 
even if you go way over budget, which we did, because our budget was my budget. My hope for was like 55 to 60. So when we yeah. ended up at 75, I was kind of bummed out. Yeah. But hey, look, that happens all the time when you renovate houses because mm-hmm. it's hard to be accurate. It's it's very hard to be accurate on a budget of a scope of work that big. Right. I mean, how many things can go wrong in a 75K budget? Two bathroom renovations, all new flooring throughout, all new paint throughout, electrical throughout, okay? Siding throughout gutters dumpsters we needed three dumpsters not two dumpsters well that's 650 bucks plus yeah. the labor to fill them right uh we needed to replace the furnace mm-hmm. and we got you know the quotes for the furnaces change between the time we quote it and the time that it goes in you know there's all kinds of things that happen yeah. then you get in there you realize oh you know what that screen that sliding door really needs to go yeah well, well that's probably six seven hundred bucks try eleven hundred Okay. Yeah. Well, there's 500 bucks right there. Then the guy gives you a quote to put it in. It's 800 bucks to put it in. Are you kidding me? You know, but hey, that's what it costs. He's got to cut the hole. He's got to install. He's got to go pick it up. He's got to deliver it. He's got to open it. He's got to install it. He's got to cock it. He's got to nail it. And then he's got to put the trim back on. He's got to nail the trim, cock the trim, paint the trim. Next thing you know, you realize if you're the guy doing the work, that 800 bucks is a reasonable price. Yeah, absolutely. Even though you're staring at a at a, a spreadsheet and you want to you want to cry. Yeah. You tell me <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm 1,900 dollars into a sliding door oh, yeah. off the kitchen. Are you kidding me? Yeah. But here's the thing, guys. When you're walking through a property, okay, and you're looking at, you know, building a scope of work, you're saying, "Oh, this is no big deal. This is mm-hmm. an easy project. Yeah. Paint the paint the walls, new floors, some new trim." You know, maybe do a new bathroom or two. That bathroom probably be five to six grand. Next thing yeah. you know, it's eighty five hundred because you bought the nicer tile. And yep. you, you know, you wanted the surround and da 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 da. Next thing you know, a sixty k budget goes to seventy five. Yeah. So, I'm getting off topic here, but the point is, make sure that you dial in your scope of work mm-hmm. and make sure that your after repair value is conservative, and then make sure it still works with the worst case scenario on both ends. So that deal that I just described that came in at two hundred nine. Even though I went up to 160, my conservative mm-hmm. ARV was in 180 and I was okay. Yeah. And then when it came in at 209, I was happy. This is what happens in these deals. So as a borrower, you want to make sure that you're looking at all three of these elements really, really closely and accurately because your lender is going to as well. Absolutely. Okay. And I want you guys to be great borrowers and I want you to call Finley Capital so I can be your lender mm-hmm. and I want to do a lot of profitable deals together. So go get them. Go get them. <laughs>